I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. attempt on the president. What do you know about it? Nothing. Only when I read in the papers. You really shouldn't have to ask, Charles. What's happened to you? I've had frequent visits from William Stryker. You remember him, don't you? William Stryker? His son, Jason, was once a student of yours, wasn't he? Yes, years ago. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to help him. At least not in the way that his father wanted. And now you think that taking in the Wolverine will make up for your failure with Stryker's son? You haven't told him about his past, have you? I put him on the path. Logan's mind is still fragile. Is it? Or are you afraid of losing one of your precious X-Men? Old friend. You're done. I'm sorry, Charles. I couldn't help it. What have you told Stryker? Everything. The war has begun. 
Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And uh, some of you may know, but um, up until about a year ago, I was working on a podcast project with two other guys. We were doing a complete read-through of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. And we wrapped up about that about a year ago. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it. And both of them are here with me today to talk about X2. And that is Patrick Lagua and Oscar Owens. Guys, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. Uh, nice to be back. Good to see you again, Harry. Yeah, it's really good to see you guys again. I'm I'm excited to to talk about X Men with you boys. Yeah, same here. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, uh, this is something I've been hoping we could ever since we ended the show. Like I said, floated the guy the idea past you guys, and um, you were both keen on it. And then just time came up, and just like it became one of those things that was just kind of like dangling out there like an X-Men plot thread. So then <laughs> as I was making plans for a new episode, I'm like, you know, I should really talk to them and see if we could sort out logistics and get everybody's schedules in. So I'm really glad we were able to work everything out. Um, but before we jump too much into the movie, uh, what I like to do is ask people, um, especially returning guests, what kind of thing are you into lately? It can be comic books, movies, TVs, um, anything that's kind of like capturing your interest, uh, right now, uh, Pat, how about we start with you? Um, I mean, I'm still loving the crop of Xbox that are coming out. Um, I've been playing a lot of the resident evil four remake. I think I'm on my third playthrough of that right now. Um, Oh, wow. I have Lee. Well, the novelty now is like, I have Leon wearing all the kinds of weird costumes that are game so now i make him look like a 1920s gangster type which is one of the variant costumes so it's just really amusing just to have him walking around the spanish village dressed up as like a 1920s gangster it makes me very happy i do that with um uh i've got the um uh the dead the what's the dead rising games or what is it Mm -hmm. i can't remember exactly the name offhand but um i've got the fourth one of that and just like dipping in and out of it here and there and i've got the definitive edition so it's got all the different costumes and looks so you can just play around with those and yeah that's a lot of fun too oscar how about you what is grabbing your interest these days Uh, look i'm obsessed at the moment with jury duty um, (laughs) which is not comic related but it kind of is because it has james marsden in it but uh i am as someone who went to law school, like, I think that kind of hits into it as well. But it's just, it seems like the perfect uh, amalgamation of The Office, The Truman Show, mm. and Punked all put in together. And uh, I, I think the whole world right now is like, everyone seems to, it's like gone viral, but everyone seems to have just fallen in love with the, 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 the guy that's getting punked, Ronald. He just seems like the, the sweetest, kindest, nicest coolest guy and uh yeah i'm, I'm obsessed with it it's great I, I i don't know how they're gonna do it again um they have to try and come up with some other way to recreate the magic and catch the lightning in the bottle but yeah jury duty if you haven't seen it watch it oh that's i've never that even a, heard of this is that a freebie oscar i haven't heard of it oh, okay so it's uh what it is is they've got it's like a reality show and they've got uh, a trial um like a civil litigation someone's so this woman's suing one of her old employers and there's a judge there's a jury there's a bailiff they the jury is sequestered but the trick is that 
everyone is an actor except for one juror. And uh, James Marsden is one of the the jurors that gets called in and he plays like a um, exaggerated version of himself. Yeah. 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 And they, they, one of the very first scenes, he's like walking in and he sits down and they've orchestrated it so that when Ronald, his name is, when Ronald comes in, he sits down on a chair and then James Marsden comes and sits next to him and somebody asks James for like a a selfie and – James starts to talk to him and he's like, yeah, yeah, I was just in the, the I was in like uh, the Sonic movie. And this guy, Ronald's like, oh, I heard that movie was shit. <laughs> and James Marsden's like, oh, like inside you can see he's like cut a little bit, but on the other side he's mm. like, oh, yes, this is going to be, you know, like like magic. Mm. And, uh, yeah, he keeps saying that people keep calling him like the X-Men boy. And mm. um, this crazy stuff happens within the the – the trial, which is completely outrageous, and this poor guy is sort of gets strung along, and uh, yeah, it's really good. It's 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 well worth a watch. I'll have to see if I can find it somewhere. Um, uh, my thing is, I just picked up uh, it's the Superman Legacy sale, so I just picked up a bunch of uh, Superman books for the the eighty fifth anniversary, and one of them was I was just talking to Pat before you came on. I just finished reading uh, Son of Kal El book two. Uh, Tom Taylor's doing that, and it's it's su- it was such a great read. I really enjoyed digging into that. Um, that's the big thing for me now. Also, we've got a uh, new season, a uh, new episode of Succession that I still have to watch, um, and I also just wrapped up Beef. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw that on Netflix, but that was I, really entertaining. I enjoyed Beef thoroughly. I thought it was great. Beef is definitely on my to-watch list. I haven't got there yet, but it's definitely on my to-watch list. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad my wife suggested because I had seen it and I had been hearing little rumblings of it here and there, but I hadn't actually sat down and started watching it. But she came home one day and she's like, let's watch Beef. I heard it's really good. And um, I was hooked like from the first episode. And we just mm-hmm. like binge the whole thing in a week. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't do a lot of binging these days. Uh, it's like, you know, watch one episode here, one episode there. But, you know, just with kids and work and everything, I barely have the time. But this, you know, we made time for because it was that good. That's a pretty um, big, uh, pretty, pretty big appraisal then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, at least. <laughs> anyway, um, today, like I mentioned, we are talking about X2. Uh, the uh, 2003 sequel to the first X-Men movie. And uh, this is a movie that I've been wanting to cover for a while. And it's one of those big gaps we have on the show. Like, you know, it's we've got we've covered uh, done 150 plus episodes now. And uh, every now and then I'll look over the, the list of movies that we haven't done. And I'll see like there's a big one that I'm surprised nobody has requested. Um, the Dark Knight is one of them. And X2 is another one. It's, it's one of those big holes that's been in there for a long time. And I'm glad I could finally get you guys on to talk about it. Uh, before we dive too much into um, the movie as a whole, uh, let's talk a little bit about when it first came out. Because uh, I'm probably correct in assuming both of you guys saw it when it first came out. So what do you mm-hmm. remember thinking about it at the time? I was just so excited because I think all the media buzz around it that I read before it came out just talked about how it's so much bigger and better than the first one. And I mean, to be fair, the bar was pretty low in that regard to like improve on the first film. Um, So I, I was really excited and I think it delivered. 
on all counts. And I remember it was back during the time where there were still such things as dollar movies. I don't know if that's a thing either of you can recall, but. Oh, yeah, um, I recall that. <laughs> so that's sort of I think I saw that film in the theaters at least maybe 10 times because there were dollar movies. Oscar, how about you? Well, I've never heard of a dollar movie. Can, what is a dollar movie? It's just what it sounds like. You, you, but it's not first run films. So they would show mm-hmm. like films that have been out for a, a while and maybe not showing in a first run theater. And then you just pay a yeah, dollar and you see a movie. Usually like smaller theaters, older mm-hmm. theaters. It's like after the movie's been out for two or three months, then it'll come to to these dollar theaters, you know. Okay. And it's like I went to they've see- got like the old style crappy seats and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I went to see recently, mm-hmm. uh, just before the Oscars, I went and saw everything everywhere all at once for $5. So maybe that's like a 2023 version of a dollar Probably, movie. yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. That was a great film, by the way. And it's even, I, I think, a bit superhero-y as well. It, mm-hmm. it has... I. It hasn't. I think it's just come out in the theaters here. So, and I'm not sure if it's um, if it's got English subtitles or Japanese subtitles. Because with movies here, sometimes they'll have the English subtitles and Japanese subtitles for foreign language scenes. Sometimes they won't. So, um, uh, so I'm waiting a little bit longer to get it on on video. For me, I think it was the best film I've seen in the last ten years. It, it was fantastic. But um, when X Men Two came out, I'm, uh, unlike uh, Pat. I loved the first one. I I was uh, really nervous when I watched it. As I always am when I uh, read a book and then you watch the film, you know, you're like, oh, how badly are they going to get this wrong? I thought I thought it was great. It was it was a good. It was like one of the first good comic book movies, really. Mm. Um, I think it kind of kickstarted everything. The first X Men one. I yeah. I I, I loved it. Um, but when the second one came out, there was um, a little, just a little story about it. So I had the DVD because I, of course I bought the DVD. Um, but when X2 came out, there was like a, the special edition DVD where you got the commentary or something like that. And even right. though I already X-Men had the 1. first. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Right. So even though I already had it on DVD, just like being a full completist, I, I bought the second one and there was a competition. And if you entered the competition, you could, uh, by buying the DVD, you could win a chance to go to a preview screening. So I was lucky enough to win and I got to go and see the film like a week or two before it actually came out. So mm. I watched it in a room full of media and they were mostly journalists, um, you know, writing down their reviews and stuff. And me and my, my ex at the time was, you know, really excited that we got to see it before everyone else. And I didn't have anything spoiled and it was fantastic. And I, I was just like, that was the best movie I've ever seen in my life at the time. <laughs> and, uh, I think, yeah, I think it was it was just fantastic, and and it also kickstarted for me making sure that I watch superhero films now on opening night mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I hate the risk of like opening up Twitter or opening up social media or even just like I don't know looking on a news website and just seeing a comment that spoils it for everything. Whereas yeah. going to that previous screenings made me be like, no, we have to go for opening night now. We have to have that true experience. Yeah, which, I had um. Know, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pat. Which I, I was just going to say nowadays is no longer Friday, but Thursday, and sometimes mm-hmm. Wednesday night before it comes out. <laughs> it keeps creeping in earlier to the week. Yeah, I know, right? Like it'll just start on Monday now. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I was super lucky living in Australia because the day starts, mm-hmm. the world's day starts there. So if you're in Australia, you mm-hmm. really are the first people to see it. So yeah. we were, 
we were we're lucky that we don't have to worry there about um, Americans posting about it on Twitter and ruining it for mm-hmm. us. The nice thing is um, here if something comes out like uh, spring break time, or if it comes out like in or, or if they try to shoot for Memorial Day weekend, because we don't have. Like in, in Japan, for example, next week is Guardians is coming out on the 5th, but it comes out here mm-hmm. on the 3rd because that's when the holiday week next week starts. So uh, so I'm going to get to see okay. it two days before everybody else. Uh, so I'm cool. looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I think my opinion on the first X-Men movie, I think it was somewhere between you two. Um, I really liked it when I first saw it. And, and I think it was, Oscar, very similar to what you said. It's just that idea of, oh my God, they got it. They got it. It it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. And then and on repeat viewings, I'm like, well, they kind of change a lot of stuff. I'm like, ah, this maybe doesn't quite okay, work so I, well. I, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I guess I, I'll, I'll walk it back a little bit. Like, I, I didn't mean to imply that I he didn't like the first movie. I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, I think they got more right than they got yeah. wrong. But there, there were still some glaring flaws <laughs> that even in my heart of my my X Men addict loving heart, I like I I couldn't forgive. But not to say like they, I think they did a great job because there was a lot of expectation and it's a lot of it's it's a very difficult thing to pull off. And so yeah. I think an assessment of it didn't suck like relatively means like they they did a good job. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not, yeah. not trying to impugn the movie. It was mm-hmm. it was good. I enjoyed it, and I still enjoyed it. We covered it way back on an early episode yeah. uh, of this show, and um, but yeah, the more I watch it, it's like the third act is really weak, and um, Rogue is not Rogue at all. She's basically Kitty <laughs> Pride, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, there are a lot of issues like that I had with it. Plus, it's just you know, it's it's the it's basically Wolverine and the X Men, and mm-hmm. when the second one came out, like. I remember sitting there in the theater and being like, Oh my God, they got almost everything right. And like it, and one of the things I watching it last the other night, I realized I'm like, it is much more of an ensemble piece. Like all the other mm-hmm. characters get a lot more attention mm-hmm. except for Cyclops, which we'll talk about. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but for the most part, it is, it's not as Wolverine focused as the first one or the third one was, or it's not mm-hmm. as like Xavier and Magneto focused or, mystique Mm -hmm. as the as the first class stuff was so i felt like out of all the x-men movies this is the one that really felt like it it was an ensemble picture um yeah a lot more than any other ones did and i think that also hints at and one of the reasons i really love the second film is it hints at this possibility of like they're going to explore more they're going to go Mm -hmm. into like different facets of the franchise like it's not just going to be about Wolverine. It's not just going to be about the Charles Magneto thing because it's such a rich source of material that the second film I think really hints at. Oh, they're going to explore that, or maybe they're going to go here. Like I think it it hinted at a lot of different possibilities that they could go to, which unfortunately didn't happen in the third film. But that is not the topic of this episode. Yeah, I mean that and that last scene of the of this film. I mean, it's yes, just, mm-hmm. I remember. What, freaking the fuck out of the theater because i'm like okay they're gonna show her we saw we saw a little bit of the fire effect i'm like oh they got a phoenix effect i'm like that's probably all we're gonna see of it when i was watching it's just a tease and then at the end she dies i'm like oh my Mm -hmm. god she they killed her i'm like oh crap are they gonna like they're probably not gonna show anything though and then at the end it shows the vague outline Mm -hmm. and and then it just cuts the credits i'm like oh fuck i'm waiting here waiting until i'm like there's gonna be something there's gotta be something is she gonna do it is she gonna do it um 
And I think I in my head canon because I was just when I rewatched it the other day, I I had this and I hate nitpicking, but I did it in that one moment. But I'm like, why did she leave the plane? Because yeah. I feel like you can just do it from by the way inside the plane. And so my head canon now is like maybe she knew like she was gonna go bad, and so like this was her way of like. Okay, I'm going to save everyone and also take care of that little problem. And, no, the problem with then, that I think was the because her powers were interfering with the the ship's controls. With the ship? you saw that, yeah, because you saw that like what all the that? lights and stuff were flickering. Yeah, they also hinted that early on when they're in the museum hmm. and when she's near the TV screens, all of them are flickering on and off. She she had some struggle. She had some struggle with it as well when the when storm did the tornadoes, right? And she was yeah in the yeah. Plane. yeah yeah. She couldn't mm-hmm. just push through it. They um, put some sort of limitations on her power there. But I think me and all my X-Men loving friends when it came out, like that final scene, we were just like, oh, they, they mean business. Like this, mm-hmm. this is cool. Like this yeah. team knows what they're talking about and they're talking to their audience. Although it also, it's sort of that insider knowledge thing, I think. Like if you didn't read the X-Men, I'm sure you're just, what is the big deal, you guys, with this? Why are you yeah. going crazy with yeah. this? whatever that is are you okay like pat are you all right i'm like you don't understand okay like i do remember do like me and the meaning I saw of with the, yeah i saw with a buddy who was also a big comics fan and mm-hmm. when that at the end we were like freaking out we're standing up we're clapping never yeah, looking oh, at like, what the hell's wrong yeah. with you <laughs> okay what's the big deal it's just water okay are you all right it's fine but yeah which, um, is an, which was an excuse for me to then explain to friends which i always find it well let me tell you all about this two-year storyline that happened so <laughs> uh so yeah uh now what'd you guys think re-watching it um for this show it held up it holds up well i think um i like you said it's an ensemble piece which is very enjoyable um it doesn't feel that dated um and it's also it feels like um, it's still fresh, like not boring. It didn't feel like a chore to watch it. Oscar, yeah, I, I, I feel a very similar kind of way, you know, like I, I didn't feel like it was a chore to watch it. I do, I do think it is a little long. I, mm. It could be trimmed a little bit if I have to give some criticism. So I'm just to say it's like perfect. It's not the, it's not perfect film. It could be shortened a little bit. I know towards the end, whether at the dam and stuff, I was like, oh, like this is – I did feel it was a little bit long. But I think a lot of the political themes that are seeped within it are still super relevant. Um, Even more so, I rem- yeah. yeah, well, perhaps, you know. Like I, I remember that the, the one line, what the, the president says, like, oh, we can't have uh, any pictures of dead mutant children on the front page of the – Six o'clock news. No, dead the six o'clock news. Six that's o'clock that's news. what he says. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know th- this film came out just as the Iraq War was all, um, yeah, hitting up right, and mm-hmm. that was, yeah, I think it came out that, that was, summer if I'm remembering correctly. That the uh, yeah, right so it was Iraq like a huge sort. That was definitely like a that that line in particular was very pointed towards um, that sort of political situation. And I think it's still relevant now. Super relevant now. The the the, the coming out scene with uh, with Bobby that was so, uh, so prophetic. So uh, 
when i watched it i was like oh my god they get it you know because the x-men mm-hmm. is political it's very political and especially mm-hmm. for the lgbt people and i was like oh thank god like you know they they they, they get it but upon re-watching it a second time i thought okay there's no subtlety at all right <laughs> it's like with that scene they just like mm-hmm. bang it on the head to make sure that everyone that's eating their popcorn like actually got the uh the message there um but you know it still needs to be said i think that's why the the themes of the x-men are kind of timeless well, yeah, in I mean, terms I think of that's... the film it's Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, in terms of the film itself, I think the only thing I would really say upon the second viewing now, like, what is it, like 20 years, 20 years later? Yeah. Is that um, it's a little bit long. It's a little bit long. Um, I would also say that I, and this isn't necessarily, well, it is a criticism, but it may be a thing that's necessary given it's one film and you have so many characters that you're playing with. Like, not all of them get the same kind of plot servicing that I would have wanted. Mm-hmm. But again, you're working with a limited time. And Oscar already said, it's already too long, so we, we can't add any more minutes um, and screen time to some characters. But it would have been nice to give the same kind of treatment that some of the characters got to others, like poor Lady Deathstrike, for example, who, yeah, I mean, she got that awesome fight scene, but I, poor, I mean, she, I would, she would have, it would be nice to get her more character development. Pyro 2, I don't know why I thought this. And, oh, I know why, because I just found out recently and I didn't know this about the, the comic book character. Like, apparently, he writes romance novels, like in the comics. Mm-hmm. Like, he was a romance novel. He's also like, Australian. Right, right. I'm like, wouldn't that have been interesting? Like, what if this Pyro was also some kind of budding romance novelist? But no, he's just sort of like a the jackass, like foil to bobby because fire and ice so I, okay fine <laughs> i actually liked pyro's um you know that, that they had someone sort of go to the dark side and um mm-hmm. get you know tempted by the by the by the power that's um that's a super important part of the x-men as well I'm, I'm glad that they put someone in there that, that did that but i think pyro's character was just it could have been anyone right it was just yeah yeah it, it was just like oh we'll use the fire because it, it's um the perfect sort of match to go with with ice man mm-hmm. they also I mean, they like, had him in <clears throat> they had that cameo of him in the first movie so i think that was also why right. they're like oh we can use him now <clears throat> for that and i thought it was a uh, yeah i really liked pyro in this i thought he was a uh, aaron stanford came in he replaced the guy who did the cameo in the first movie mm-hmm. um and i thought he did a, he was he was a lot of fun um like just like trying to be a dick <laughs> like i love to see what with talking about the coming out scene when mm-hmm. um when the mother's like oh this is all my fault and he's like no actually they found out that men are the one who pa- who pass on the mutant gene so it's his fault it's his fault <laughs> my head canon is like that's not actually true pyro just fucking with them <laughs> mm-hmm. i also read an interview with him uh but i don't know why i remember this but he said that the flicking of the lighter yeah the on and off flicking of the the lid of the lighter was not in the script. And that was something that he just sort of ad-libbed to mm. act like a dick to annoy everyone. <laughs> and, and it worked. Um, it works. Yeah, yeah, for Good sure. Job. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, if it should have been in the script. That's one thing I, I will add about looking back on this movie 20 years later is that the, the writing of the film is superb. 
Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's clearly much better than a lot of the other. I just watched Ant Man a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. Mm. I hated it. I and it's not very many movies that I actually hate. I mm. hated Ant Man, and I'm watching X Men Two. I was like, this is so much better. You're talking um, about Quantum Mania, you mean? The, the yes. new Ant Man movie. Okay. Yeah. I also I know like that the, um, Perry, Perry I, enjoyed. I, it, I dug but... it. Yeah, I dug the. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as good as the um, as the other two Ant Man movie, but uh, and it's definitely not as good as X Two. I'll agree with you on that. But mm-hmm. I like that they swung, and I there were, were definitely a lot of problems with it. But I like that they swung for the fences with the the super sciency Kirby weirdness type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was going to say I I also liked how I, I know it's a lot. It is a long movie, but there's a sense of economy to there were so many cameos and I think they did mm-hmm. it in such a way where, and I like it when it hits that magic spot of like, okay, if you know, you know, and it's going to push your buttons, but if you don't know, it's not really intrusive to the flow of the film. Yeah. So there's all those cool cameos with like Colossus, you know, he does a thing. Siren is sort of like the early alarm system for the school, I guess, which, which works. <laughs> um, but if you know, you know, right? Like, ah, that, that's a cool nugget given to the We fans. get Beast on um, the TV. And... Right. And then yeah. uh, Kate, Kate, of course. Um, mm-hmm. She's Kate now, um, walking through the walls. So all those, like, little cool tidbits was... You know what's I funny really about... I'm all... glad it made it to the screen. All of those cameos we recognize as the characters, and I think later on in the films, especially in The Last Stand and stuff, all mm-hmm. of the um, extras, we'll say were yeah. not as identifiable and perhaps not even characters. They've just made it up rather than mm-hmm. taking right. them from the books. I really like that all of those little background characters in X-Men 2 were proper Easter eggs for the fans. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, like, and, and like you said, make... it did feel a lot more natural. Like you compare it to mm-hmm. like in, in X-Men Origins Wolverine where it felt completely forced in. They're like, let's just try and dra- <laughs> grab in as many mutants as we can and throw them in there, even if it doesn't make any sense. Whereas here, mm-hmm. all the cameos, it felt like a natural thing to have those character, those specific characters in those spots. Um, the writing, and, the writing, that's what the it writing, is. The writing was yeah. good, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and, and um, the, I want to mention the one of the things about uh, about Kitty, about Kate, that I thought was funny was that rewatching these movies is that they use a different actor in the first three every movies. film, right? Yes, and it seems like she gets younger with each movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's her secondary mutation, okay? Like she she gets younger as she, as she goes on. It's the but same thing happened with Jubilee. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the same but actress as Jubilee in uh, these two movies. Is oh, they? really? Yeah, it was Kia oh, Wong in both of these these two. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I was gonna say too that scene with um, Mystique when she breaks into the office. Like, what a clever way to Easter egg it, right? Because when she's mm-hmm. looking at the computer and there's all these references, yeah, yeah. and you're like. Franklin Richards, Project mm-hmm. Wide Awake, like, oh my god, they're Sentinels, y'all. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> I know what that is. I'm I'm so much better than all the other theater audience members right now. Um, but it, that was just such a cool part. And so economical. Mystique scene there is that that scene, the two scenes mm-hmm. that she has, right, in, in this mm-hmm. film, are better than any of the Mystique focused scenes in any of the other movies that were you know basically mystique films 110 percent agree yes yes it's so good it, like even when she has just she has very few lines as well but they really got mm-hmm. her character by yeah. the sneaking into the government facility yes that is totally mystique and the mm-hmm. well why do you uh 
you could walk around and look like anyone. Why you choose to walk around looking like this? And she, mm-hmm. she says, because why, you know, we shouldn't have to, we have to. shouldn't have mm-hmm. to hide. It's funny. Cause I remember when, when Rebecca Romaine was first cast in, in the first movie, everyone's just kind of like, Oh, they're just casting her because she's a supermodel and because she's in the news right now. And they just want someone who looks good. And, and, well, yes, and then you watch and, her in this movie and, yeah. and like, no, she's actually a pretty decent actress. And like in just yes. those few little moments, she completely mm-hmm. captures who mystique is far mm-hmm. better than Jennifer Lawrence did in what three fucking movies. Yeah. Where is she's the four? centerpiece of the whole films. Well, maybe four not the movies. last four one, movies, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, say what you will about models or whatever, but I, I have a lot of respect for anybody who's going to sit in the makeup chair for oh, God yeah, knows Jesus. how long, like having that applied on you day in and day out. Like, I was it something like six or seven that. hours? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. I remember time. she said when they were filming the first movie, um, mm-hmm. they actually had to, because between takes, they had, because they were filming outside, they actually they had, had to, to re- cover her yeah. up and like warm her up with hair dryers off. So like she's <laughs> literally, she's standing there like literally naked and in mm-hmm. the freezing cold. Like that's fucking commitment. Jennifer Lawrence couldn't even bother to do it because, you know, she made up a, a skin allergy all of a sudden after she had worn, worn it in the first movie. Oh, and they they shot in Vancouver, right? Or yeah, just yeah. really or, cold. And right? it's not yeah. it's not warm in Vancouver, y'all. So yeah. But speaking of that scene when you know she's speaking to Nightcrawler, how awesome is Nightcrawler in this movie? I mean, like that uh, opening would... scene. Oh my god! Every time I watch that scene, that is one of the greatest set pieces in any superhero movie bar none that is such an amazing mm-hmm. use of of nightcrawler and his powers tells you everything you need to know about who he is and what he can do i don't know about who he is i don't know whether it tells you about who he is but it certainly tells you about what he can do and i, I don't know I, I one i totally agree it's one of the best openings of any superhero film like that it's perfection but <laughs> When I started reading, maybe it's a personal view as well, when I was reading the X-Men and watching the the cartoon series and stuff, Nightcrawler was always in Excalibur. So he was never part of what I associated with the X-Men. And mm-hmm. um, when they sort of came back and joined the team, I've always seen him as not like just off in the side. Then I watched this opening scene. It fully changed my perspective of Nightcrawler. Now I'm like, wow, this dude is like strong. Like what a cool power. This is actually like a very uh, aggressive and um, strong power. I can't even think of another word, like strong power. Um, but in terms of his character, I feel like that's the one character they missed the mark on. I, I feel like oh, they put the scars on his face and said, oh, it's a link to his religion. And it was maybe it was a visual way to show that he's a religious person. But I just kind of thought, well, I, they, I don't really think that he wasn't fun he wasn't um, – what else? What other word? If you're just going to describe Nightcrawler in three words from the comics, what would you say? Charming. He's um, – char- yeah. Um, jovial? Like Charming, jovial, fun. Yeah. Outgoing. What three words would you say to describe Nightcrawler from X2? Uh, I will use two words, and those words are plot device. <laughs> okay. I, I agree with you on the, I think they did overdo the religious stuff. I mean, I know he's, you know, he's super Catholic in the comics too and everything, but like, you know, scarring himself with like the symbols from the, that was a little bit, that was taking the relig- religious aspect a little bit too much. I kind of felt the same way when they did him in the animated series, when they had him in that episode, I'm like, you're, you're focusing way too much on the Catholic side of thing without forgetting about mm-hmm. this whole other aspect to him. 
Although he did have moments in this movie. Like yeah. I love that when he's trying to introduce himself and everything like that. And I thought though we got little hints of what Alan Cumming could have done if they had done a better job writing the character. And I, I do think with these films, because I think I feel in some ways we're very spoiled a little bit because at least with Marvel, you always go into these films or maybe the creators do too with the assumption or framework that like, oh, we're going to have more than one film to develop and give these characters these moments and like, you know, things in which they can develop. But back then it's like, well, maybe you just have this one film and you have to pack right. it as much as you can. So there's this element of like, unfortunately, you may have to pick and choose what aspect of the characters to emphasize. And those things may have to be what serves the plot. I mean, if you want to talk about underset characters, like poor Storm, like who is even Storm? What I mean, what is she? Other than again, awesome set pieces and her disappearing accent, which is a thing. Um, but other than that, I'm like, who is this? This doesn't feel like Storm. No, at no. All. I mean that. I was thinking about that that scene that she has with Nightcrawler when mm -hmm. he says, you know, someone so beautiful should not be so angry. I'm like, that is not storm at all she's not like angry no i mean she could like kick your butt but i wouldn't describe her as like angry yeah. i thought going with angry black woman stereotype was was mm -hmm. you know such a disservice to that character definitely harry halle berry has said you know many times that she wished that the the character in the films was more like the characters in in the books more of a leader and i think she tried to have some moments in in the later films but they all of the films with storm they've missed the mark and and i wonder whether that's because it's really hard to translate that character's strength to film well here's here's my thought okay and i and this happened too when it came out in 2003 like uh, the bulk of the film is set in this cavernous environment when they get to the alkali base and i'm like she's claustrophobic give the woman a moment where that happens mm -hmm. and she can like work through that like what a cool moment that would have been right because i i made it doesn't come up as often now but i'm like that was a key part of her character it, it still yeah. is you'd have or you'd have to explain forever. where that came from rather well, well maybe you wouldn't you, she could just be like oh, i'm not going down that tunnel i'm not going down that tunnel or like i mean yeah, just have like, like you can have little yeah. yeah there are little ways to hint at it especially mm -hmm. because the assumption is you're gonna you're in a tunnel like, you're in yeah. this you're in a contained space like that would have like triggered i that would have triggered that i think like yeah but but talking about interesting how Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to mention uh, it. I was just going to mention when um, Pat mentioned about the ensemble and about how everyone did get a moment. And like, even though we say Nightcrawler's moment was not, you know, really in tune with his character or was the best use of his character, might be a better way to phrase it. I think, like, you could. I mean, when I watched X Two the first time, I went with my partner at the time who had n never watched the the cartoon or read the book, knew nothing about it. But when we walked out of the cinema, he was like, you know, he could name the characters and he mm -hmm. knew who they were. I took my brother to see the new mutants mm -hmm. and when we walked out of the film, we went and had dinner and he said, what was that character's name? And I said, which one? And then he thought about it and he was like, you know what? I don't even know any of their names. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, I can understand how you don't know any of their names. That's really bad. So I just want to give like a shout out again to how good the writing is because I think you, everybody in the film does get a moment 
you kind of know what everyone's power is. You kind of know everyone's name, even though it's quite a huge cast. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the new—I may be wrong. It's been a while since I saw it, but I don't. So in the New Mutants movie, I don't think they ever like referred to each other as code names. Like it was just all their their. It's proper... all it's all just their real names. Yeah, I think. Yeah, whereas in well, that's in even X-Men... worse then because in X Men you've got two names and people still remember them. <laughs> but but they make a point of like because in the first film it was so memorable with Wolverine sort of like jokingly like oh Storm and Cyclops yeah. they call you Wheels so like it's yeah. sort of like it described in, in the audience's brain like oh, okay these people got code names like that that's mm-hmm. what they're called um, and I do agree like uh, everyone got set pieces if not the kind of character development I would like like that moment when she was doing all those tornadoes right like. Mm-hmm. I think when I got the DVD, I would just keep repeating that moment because it was just so cool. Like, let's I watch remember, that again. Let's watch it again. We were again. talking to me and my buddy when he, he pointed out after we left the theater, he's like, he's like mm-hmm. that that female jet pilot. I wonder if there was Carol Danvers. And so when the DVD came out, we were like going slow. Oh, try and oh see is, the it, name. is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not. We had the rights back then. Let's figure it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, speaking of characters who get the shaft, though, in this, like, I don't think any character suffered more in this movie or in this franchise as a whole than Cyclops. Like mm-hmm. he just got so short change. Oh. And the tragedy of it is there were more scenes filmed with James Marsden. Right. And like the, you know, the, the fight scene he has, the brief fight scene in the, in the prison mm-hmm. cell, that was a longer extended fight scene because James Marsden went up to them. He's like, Hey, you know, I want to have something else with Cyclops, maybe to show that he actually knows how to fight. Because in the first mm-hmm. movie, all I'm going is like this the whole time. So let's yeah. have a scene where he can't use his powers, so he has to fight. And so they had done this whole scene where he grabs one of the batons and he's fighting them off, all badass and stuff. And it's like the whole thing happens off screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we never get to see any of it. And also, like, there's this also the scene shot about him being brainwashed. There was some more mm-hmm. character stuff with him in that, too. Never ended up anywhere as far as I'm as I'm aware, like not even on deleted scenes or anything like that, but it was shot. It was filmed. And then you look at the first movie where almost all the extended scenes in the first movie that were cut were with Cyclops. And it was like him talking to Gene, him dealing more with Logan, him talking with with the professor. And you watch those scenes and you realize Marzen had a really good handle on on Cyclops. Like he plays him cool and collected throughout everything. And even in the third movie, like he's only in it for five minutes, but he gives like the best performance in the goddamn movie. And it's like, mm. poor guy got so shortchanged in these movies. Um, I, I would say though that I think Storm is slightly more underserved because at least I could say like you know this this love triangle thing, which we see so much of in these films, is, is sort of like a key component of the character. So we at least get some idea of what's going on with his interior life and his life outside being a superhero, which I don't think we got with Storm. And perhaps that Shaft thing says something about, I don't know, like test audiences or maybe the editors. Like, we just don't like this guy, so we're going to keep cutting his stuff. I think Storm at least gets the big fight scenes, right? She at least gets mm-hmm. the big set pieces that mm-hmm. that sort of move those action scenes along, whereas Cyclops kind of misses out on both ends there. I, I think... Well, the films can only go for two hours, even though it's, you know this one yeah. felt a little long. They still can only go for two hours. You can only fit so much in, and mm-hmm. and I think, like you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, um, Pat, the, the the resource material is so rich. Mm-hmm. I think it's 
I don't want to say it's lazy writing. It's not lazy, but it's a bit of a shortcut. In order to make Wolverine cool, you make Cyclops mm. a nice. nerd or boring. Or, yeah. Mm. But I think that if they're both cool, because Cyclops is cool. He's, he's certainly yeah. become much cooler now, I think, in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, and the character is, is he's definitely become one of my favorites. Um, it's much cooler now than he was back then and i think it's it it makes a better love triangle if both of the potential suitors are Mm -hmm. worthy yeah instead of having one that's like blah and then the other one's like you know such a cool dude who's Uh, not a cool dude there's no need to disparage wolverine oscar so he's not i'm not disparaging (laughs) him he is i know i'm I'm making i'm making a statement there i was trying to make a statement in the recast of uh you know Mm -hmm. when when the mutants come to the mcu that Mm -hmm. they make wolverine five foot five i hope they make him ugly (laughs) and i hope they make him mean and angry so dan you know is wolverine (laughs) <laughs> I, I would, hey, I look, would I'm, sign up I'm only 5'7 and I love that he was short <laughs> you know but I, I just think like it'd be much cooler if they make it for Hugh Jackman how are you going to replace Hugh Jackman they, they have to go in the opposite direction and by making it a bit more true to the comics I think that would be a little bit cool I think it would be very cool um, and I, I hope that uh, it doesn't become the Wolverine hour like I know he has to be there because yeah. he sells the tickets but there's so much more, so much more than that. Well, I think, I think one of the benefits of having the MCU and having having Disney money is they don't like because back then it was like okay we can do an X Men movie or we can do a Wolverine movie we can't do both. <laughs> both right. was kind of the thinking for a long time. I mean now there's no reason you can't have a string of Wolverine solo movies and just have him pop into the X Men movies on occasion too. So I think mm-hmm. we can definitely get a lot more mileage out of these other characters and just have Wolverine as a less of a presence in the big movies and instead focus more on his solo adventures for that, which I think would be great. I mean, I'd love to see, um, I, I personally, I think in a lot of ways, Wolverine works best when he's solo. I think like, I I think a lot of his solo Mm -hmm. adventures are a lot more interesting than when he's with the X-Men. So I like, you know, put him in Madripoor, have him run around, do that kind of stuff. That'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but also with the Cyclops thing, the, I like, if you look at that first movie, you know, and if you watch those deleted scenes, you don't notice it the first time you watch it. But when you watch on repeat viewings, you really realize that Marsden is playing Cyclops very cool. Like that scene when um, Wolverine goes up to him and he's like, Cyclops, right? He grabs him. He's like, you want to get out of my way? And Scott just kind of looks at him and he looks over at mm-hmm. the professor and like this silent word. He's kind of saying like, listen, you going to tell your guy to back up before I bust his ass. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like what I'm feeling. <laughs> and also when Wolverine's like, there's this extended scene when um, he's talking to Wolverine in, in the room and Wolverine comes out and is like, you ever seen real combat boy? And Scott just like, <laughs> he's like this motherfucker right here. <laughs> he's just like, you yeah. know, he's like, have you, he's like, you don't remember anything about your past. Do you, what do you, what the fuck have you seen? And he's just like all calm and cool. And res- everything Wolverine is saying to him is just like bouncing right off him. And he's just completely unaffected by it at all. And then they, and you, and you kind of see that too, in the first movie, again, when they were, were talking about Gene and I think he responded with like, well, if I did that, she wouldn't be my girl. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. If I had to say stay away from her, she wouldn't be my right. girl. Yeah, exactly. And then he throws um, it out I, the end anyway. He's like, he's like, and Logan, stay away from my girl. And he, but he just kind of like, yeah, no, out no, like <laughs> also, by the way, um, I, one thing I will say, though, about 
this film is i don't know if you guys feel the same way but like it's so monotone which i think is i mean we were just talking about quantumania a little bit ago but like it's so monotone and like superhero films now i feel there's so much more of a color palette but like with this film it's like it's dark or it's darker (laughs) which yeah i I think interesting a big part of that was just i think i i excuse a lot of that because of just the Mm -hmm. time period it was in because i mean back then the image everybody still had of superheroes was like batman and robin or you know batman Mm -hmm. 66 so it's like superheroes are lame and so there's whole Mm -hmm. idea of like well we can't we can't do the full superhero thing like um and i always say like X-Men walked so Spider-Man could run. Because in Spider-Man, we got like the colorful costumes. For sure. Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. for sure, yes, but, yes. But also still, I think, even at that, even in 2003, like, it was kind of a thing where it's like, okay, we can excuse Spider-Man, we can excuse Superman, but everything else has to be more grounded and gritty and realistic. And that was kind of the idea. And I think it's not until you get to Avengers when you really have this explosion of like, yeah, we're going to have colorful costumes now. The Matrix was also like a really big thing at that time as well, right? right that was yeah. um, in the zeitgeist of having the, the the black leather was very, very cool. And I think it might have been a pushback from or a push away from Batman and Robin when they tried to do color yeah. in that. And everyone was like, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Also, when you think about, you know, the X-Men, too, if you're going to have a group of superheroes that it would make sense for them to be all in matching leather outfits. It makes sense mm-hmm. for the X-Men more than like the justice league or the Avengers or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Oscar looks like he's contemplating that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, mm, is it, I don't know. I'm gonna have to let that percolate in my brain for a little bit. Well, I think, I think because... it makes a little bit more sense for the X-Men just because they're yeah. always a team. They they have a history of matching outfits and all that anyway. And, you know, that whole idea of them being this kind of like search and rescue operation that Morrison played with, which talked about it, it fits that kind of idea. Whereas and you can have that play out where they're not really superheroes. They're just kind of out to protect themselves type of thing or to um, whereas then you get to the Avengers or the Justice League. They're superheroes, right? You can't run away from it there as much. Yeah, uh, look, I, I agree. I I agree. No, I I think you've um you, you've you've explained that really clearly. I, I mean, I would prefer to have some sort of color in the costumes. I definitely agree with that. But if you're gonna choose one property that has to be in black leather, I think it makes sense for it to be the X Men. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. I, I think the the black leather is really really cool, and um cinematically it definitely looks better um i don't know about in the in the books i think i actually like the color Mm -hmm. i like a bit more of tone it doesn't have to be like super bright bright Mm -hmm. but i think the avengers look really really good bright bright i don't i can never imagine like the avengers or justice league or something like that being in all black leather yeah yeah yeah, I agree. It just it just doesn't work. Like you can't imagine like Captain America running around in all black leather suit. It wouldn't make any sense. He's <laughs> really be Captain America then. Or Superman. Captain America agent of shield or something. <laughs> um uh what I want to talk about uh Brian Cox too as as striker. So they made that that big change from the comic books whereas, you know, is a lot of this is based on God loves man kills, but instead of mm-hmm. striker being a preacher, here he's a military scientist. 
what do you guys think about those changes and what they did and what uh, Brian Cox, how Brian Cox portrayed Stryker in this? I think he did a great job. Like and he, he, I feel like at least in the movies I've seen of him, he plays that kind of smarmy, really off-putting character very well. Um, and I think the changes make sense because I think it allows you to get what they needed from the character in the source material, but also allowing it to connect to the Wolverine plotline in, in an important way. Um, and I don't know if like there were concerns, and I'm just making this next stuff up in my head. Like, I don't know if there's a concern about we didn't want to piss off the religious people, so we're gonna yeah. make him a mm-hmm. we're gonna make him a military officer. Um I think that that the, the you know you wouldn't want to upset the the middle America by um mm-hmm. demonizing religious figures too much. Um I I admit I hadn't read God Love God Love Van Kills before X two. So I didn't think much, I didn't know much about the comparison. Um the only thing I knew about God Loves Van Kills is that scene with Kitty Pride um mm. speaking mm-hmm. speaking out, the famous one there. Um and that wasn't in the film. So I found that an interesting omission. Um I think Brian Cox was great. I think Stryker was a good villain. The the only, uh, you know, he had a good motive. And motive is probably the most important thing that a villain can have uh, to make it make sense. But, you know, having his son and him dealing with all of that, it, it, that was good. The only thing that I found a little bit weird was like, I was like, okay, so the villain is using mutants as weapons and mm-hmm. it's a military man, but he wants to kill all the mutants. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you want to keep them all as weapons? Yeah, and that's a good like point. I never because... consider that, but that's a good point. But I, I, my to me, that was a bit of a pothole. I think that was the means to his end, right? Which is killing all mm. of them. I mean, so like if they're all gone, I suppose there's no longer a need to have these kinds of weapons to deal with this problem because they're all gone. Like you wouldn't need that strike anymore because there's no more Wolverine to deal with. I suppose that's how I made it work. Yeah, yeah I mean, but I, then you, there's going to be new ones born. It's mm. it's the same kind of thing with the. Oh, the but you're weapons, right. You're right? correct. Yeah, you're not, never going to get rid of them, the mutants. So it just that which, that kind of. I was like, mm, doesn't make sense. Which I suppose maybe speaks to just you know his mental state of like you know this doesn't this what you're doing already doesn't make sense on an ethical level, but just from a purely like trying to get it where where you want to be, it also doesn't make sense because. It's not you're going to get rid of mutants now, but there may be more coming in the future. That's a good point. I even thought about that part that, you know, you're you're killing all the mutants that exist, but that's not going to stop new ones from being born. That's a good point. Um, Yeah, I think the the supervillain plot in both this movie and the first movie are kind of weak in both of them. Right. It's like Magneto is using this machine to to turn everybody into mutants. And it's like then they'll be just like us and they'll follow and our cause will be like I think it's and then this one, too, we're going to use Cerebro to kill all the mutants. It. It felt like they were, they didn't quite know how to execute like some big supervillain plot. And I mm-hmm. think like both of them, the supervillain plot, when you think about it, it doesn't quite hold together. Um, so yeah, I agree with I, you I on that. Strikers at least is more convincing to me than Magneto's it is, yeah. in the first film because I don't think Magneto would ever do that. 
I mean, well, also, yeah, the, the thing about Magneto in the first film that annoyed me is the fact that he he's using Rogue to to power the machine because he doesn't want to be um to, to be he doesn't want to sacrifice himself. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. Magneto would be willing to do that in, in mm-hmm. the comics, I think. And so I like the original ver- if you guys ever read the original screenplay, it was that um, the adamantium actually powered the machine. So he needed Wolverine in the machine. And mm. so, and then Rogue ended up saving the day in the in the original script. But they changed that because they're like, well, we can't have Wolverine be the damsel in distress. <laughs> oh, we have to have him save God the forbid. day. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Yes. Mm. Um, That's interesting yeah, that I, they minimize they minimize Rogue in order to mm. pump Wolverine Wolverine up. It's funny you said you didn't like Rogue in the films. I actually really like that they depowered her a bit and took her back to her original kind of state by just absorbing the powers and not always being like carol danvers kind of level mutant i liked that i didn't mind the i didn't mind the depowering but it's just like the the character just like the way they handled her character she just doesn't feel like rogue to me like i said she feels more like young kitty pride when she was all shy and scared of everything yeah we don't get any of that like fiery personality that rogue has so that 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 was that that's what you know bones me out on rewatches of these movies well, you know, like I think every they're contractually obligated. Every X thing has to have the young ingenue mm. character. Like you, you can't be without such that kind. They of they did the a similar thing in the animated series too. Like Jubilee in the animated mm-hmm. series, she's much more Kitty Pride esque than she is like Jubilee in the comics. Mm-hmm. So they they seem to always gravitate towards this Kitty Pride type character, even if it's not Kitty Pride in, in these other yeah. adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of disappointing. Um, is Kitty uh, Pride like the? Um, is she more like the template that everyone else is going off rather than? Well, at least in adaptations, because like you know, like Perry said, Jubilee and Rogue aren't like that in the source material. But it seems like when when you're adapting stuff, someone always has to play that role in the story. And I think you know, yeah, there was just to be like the audience perspective as well, right? For the new reader, yeah, the new yeah, watcher. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Oscar, you also made the point that how um, Nightcrawler wasn't really part of the main X-Men books when you started reading in the 90s. And yeah, that was true for me as well, because he didn't come in until what it was like the late 90s, like when they when Excalibur ended and they came back. Um, yeah, I think it wasn't until like 99 or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And if you look at the the classic X-Men team, right, it's like you, it's the, the classic core of the X-Men team. It's like Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Shadowcat. That's like the... When you think about like the classic era of the X-Men comics, that was like the core team, those five. And mm-hmm. in these movies, you get Wolverine and Storm. Um, but then Kitty Pride is just a cameo. Nightcrawler has a decent role in this movie. Colossus just appears in that one scene. And then ironically enough, he has more lines in his cameo appearance than he has when he's supposed to be a member of the actual team in the other movies. <laughs> uh, but it and and all, and then you bring in the other, cause I think they're basing this more on like Brian Singer said that when he was doing research of it, a lot of his research was the animated series. So he's basing it more mm. on like the nineties stuff than he is basing it on the classic comics. Hmm. That's interesting that he said that. And then he went with God loves man kills. I think it's just cause that's such a, that story really kind of captures the themes he wanted to of like, he, one of the things he was looking at was he was looking at the legacy virus too, as uh, as one of the early ideas. Mm. So, so I think he was planning to do more nineties related stuff, but 
I don't know, somewhere, someone somewhere decided let's do God loves man kills instead. And I think it really works. I think also that time period, the early two thousands, the evangelical right was such a political powerhouse in America that Mm -hmm. if you did anything to cross them, like you were basically dead in the water. So I think back then too, it would have been a real gamble to do that. But I think now I would really like to see an adaptation of God loves man kills that hues a lot closer to the comics. Um, funny thing too, uh, Bruce Davison, who plays Senator Kelly, I just read this article about it the other day. Uh, cause I was wondering, I wonder what political party this he is in the comic books, if they ever mentioned it or not. And I was looking it up. And one of the things that came up was that in the early two thousands during like the Iraq war period, um, Bruce Davison was lobbying Congress on behalf of like the arts and all that. And Republican politicians were always so excited to meet him because they loved Senator Kelly in the first movie. Some people did not get the point of the, I don't know. Did you guys, there was, I'm not sure what state that politician was from and he was ranting about, of course. Oh, that was Florida. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, And he's like, these people are like mutants in the X-Men movie. And, I, mean, it's, I think that the whole gist of his rant was like, there's these weird mutant freaks and we need to control them and get rid of them. Like, you did not get the point of that film, sir. Or You're maybe literally you becoming okay, the, the yeah. evil character from right, the books. Right, right. Do you guys ever right. watch How I Met Your Mother? I have not. Very, very occasionally. So I'm not sure if Oscar and I'm sure if you ever go, but you know, Neil Patrick Harris's character, uh, Barney, he has this, he has this bit where he always identifies with the villains in movies. So like, you know, he says the karate <laughs> kid is the story of Johnny Lawrence and <laughs> who, who learns, who learns humility after suffering, uh, a, a, a defeat by a kid who cheats at the gate at, in the, by doing an illegal kick. And he says like, you know, Hans Gruber is the, is the main character of die hard, right? He dies hard at the end. He's the central character. <laughs> Which, I, I, at least for the Karate Kid thing, he may have a point after all the Cobra Kai stuff. But well, I think that, that actually maybe... influenced Cobra Kai. Oh, because really? Johnny, oh well, yeah, there like, you go. Because uh, William go. Zabka actually played himself on How I Met Your Mother in like the later oh, seasons. Okay. Oh, I did not know that. And that's, that's kind of cool. Um, so but yeah, I, I think it's funny because it's like, it's also like, you know, Ted Cruz was asked one time who his favorite hero was. And he's like, oh, Rorschach. And it's like, I think you missed the point oh, of that character. Oh, it's like, oh no. Or at, like, I, I, I feel like, but you could say, I think, okay, I like that. Like, I, I think you can both admit that he's problematic and like him, but it, it can't be that sort of like unadulterated. Like I like him and I admire him. And I think I it was, I, I like, like him and oh, I admire him. Okay. And I want to <laughs> yeah. be more like him. Like, it, yeah. but at that point, though, I think you missed the point of the text, sir. So. It's like I people who say that this is the point of everything, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like that. Um, Sting had said that uh, he'd had couples come up to him and say that you know every breath you take is is such a great song. We played at our wedding, and he's just thinking, he's like, get the fuck away from me. He <laughs> was like, no, no, no. no. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say Roxanne, but that that works too. Yeah, <laughs> I was like Roxanne. Um, okay. Uh, how about I think Wolverine when I, when I oh sorry, go ahead. I, I love Wolf. I was, I was just going to say, I was thinking when one thing I did want to mention with you guys when I rewatched the film is that there are so many standout scenes throughout mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. The opening scene is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the, 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 the Bobby coming out scene was a big one. Um, then you have the Magneto breaking out of prison. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. that is fantastic. Then, um, 
Uh, can we let's mention the Lady Deathstrike scene? We haven't given the her fight enough. scene with Lady yeah, Deathstrike was, and, yeah, and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. So good. I found mm-hmm. it interesting that in both the films, Wolverine's um, nemesis was female. Because hmm. in the first one, he was fighting Mystique. Mystique, yes, yes. And then yeah, in the second yeah, one, he's fighting. I was going to say Sabretooth, but you're right. I think the the scene with Mystique was a little bit was more of a set piece than the scene with Sabretooth. For mm-hmm. sure, that was the big climatic one. The the, yeah. the Sabretooth Wolverine fight was just a little bit at the start, right? Well, in the third in film, is... he, he he fights Jean technically. Yeah. So what? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what, yeah. what is know. up with that? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's a good point. I never considered that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also in X Men Origins, right? It's uh, Silver Fox is kind of like one of the driving forces behind like a lot yes. of the problems that's happening in that movie too. Yeah, there's a lot of Wolverine um, fighting women in these movies, isn't there? <laughs> well no, and Viper, who was the she Viper, was the main true, yeah, in, in the yeah. Wolverine, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh uh, god, she was such a waste in that you movie. Add them all up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But you're right. I mean that movie had so such, good, such potential to be really, really good and just lost it a little bit at the end. Are just... you talking about the Wolverine? Yeah. Uh, the Wolverine, mm-hmm. I like it. the The third act is really where it loses me. But like the up until then, it's great. I love it. Every everything yeah. up until the third act is perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that it was supposed the to be directed by Aronofsky as well, and then Aronofsky the, was in um, talks to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was all on board to do it, but then the Fukushima disaster happened, and he was like, "I don't want to film in Japan," and it got moved on to somebody else. Whether yeah, yeah, I guess that did happen. That does that timeline does work out because it came out in twenty thirteen. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think what happened with that movie is when they got to the third act, I feel like that was the studio getting nervous about the fact that there wasn't enough superhero-y type stuff. It's like, let's mm-hmm. throw, we're in Japan, let's throw a big robot in. I know, I think the shark was jump when like, oh, that's the silver samurai. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Okay. Hey guys. What okay, were you yeah, saying? So, uh, we were talking about um, Lady Deathstrike was where we had left off right before I had to, had to pause up. Um, yeah, that was such a great fight scene, and uh, it, it's a shame that we don't get any sort of real characters. He's just basically a, a glorified henchman in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And even still, like they, you know, she's nothing like the comics, right? No cybernetics or anything like that. She's she's just mm-hmm. basically a female Wolverine. <laughs> yep, with uh, with more appendages that are sharp, I suppose, mm-hmm. right? I think Kelly, you did. She did what she could with the material she was given. Um, oh yeah. Um, but I mean, has I think she, Jack- she been in anything else. Oh yeah, she's been in a bunch of oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, she mm-hmm. was on. She played a uh, China White on Arrow in the early seasons as well, and okay. she was in. Um, I think the Scorpion King. She was in that and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff. She does a lot of like sci-fi type movies and, and fantasy mm-hmm. type stuff. Like she's in a lot of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. I, I really liked a lot of what he did in this movie. I love that interaction when he comes back to the mansion he has with uh, Professor X, where mm-hmm. he comes into Cerebro and he's like, he's like, if you keep smoking that cigar in Cerebro, I'm going to, I'll make, I'll, you'll live the rest of your days on the belief that you're a six year old girl and I'll have Jean braid your hair. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I, I think also I does love- a great job of um, sort of introducing the notion that Charles is dangerous like well we should have known given his power set but he's always mostly portrayed as like this very benevolent headmaster and then he says that line like oh right that's a thing he can do that's a thing he can really do 
the scene in the museum gives a bit of an indication with that as well, right? When yeah. he suddenly makes everyone yeah. freeze. Mm-hmm. And that's like, wow, he just doesn't even have to move. And suddenly everyone's just frozen still. He can do what he likes. So he And then he does it. He also does it, too, at the end with the White House, too. Although mm-hmm. the only thing the, what I hate about that scene, though, is that not, I don't hate it, hate them in these movies, but it's that it became a template that keeps being used in all the other movies then. And it just kind of gets old then. Hmm. It's kind of a thing as well where uh, he's so powerful that he's going to get hijacked and then it's going to be the the end of everything. So it's kind of like uh, the most dangerous thing that can ever happen is Charles Xavier loses control. Well, and we we see Jane. that in in Logan. Like, I mean, this I think mm-hmm. I think obviously they were paying a lot of attention to this movie when they were writing Logan because that's that's what killed the X Men was Xavier's mind deteriorating and he loses control of his powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- do you guys think that, that uh, do you guys think sorry go ahead Oscar. go ahead Perry. no I was just gonna say do you, do you guys I always thought that X2 was kind of like the best of the X-Men films and re-watching it I still feel that same way I think I need to re-watch Days of Future Pass to decide that's a clutch sure. up there first yeah. class Days of Future Pass mm-hmm. Logan Deadpool, X Men Two, those so, five are. If we're talking, we're I'm separate in my mind. I separate the Wolverine and the Deadpool movies because I think they're they're a separate thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about just like the X Men movies, just the team movies. Um, mm-hmm. This one is still my favorite. Days of Future Past is a very close second, but the problem I have with Days of Future Past is that it it's not enough of a team movie, right? It's still just mm-hmm. Wolverine. Wolverine. Uh, Magneto, Xavier, Mystique. It's just focused on like those four characters. And also, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like that we spend so much more time in the 1970s because it actually, when I watch Days of Future Past, I'm so much more interested in in the future stuff and how the, the world future got to stuff, that point. Yeah. I mean, oh, but the road cut has it, some story problems, yeah, but I actually like it yeah. more because of all the extra future scenes we get. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. I, 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 I mean, first class, I like first class, but I don't really like the portrayal of Xavier in it. I love Magneto, but it's still just, and like all the other characters are basically just glorified special effects. Like they've got no real, they don't really have any real characterization to them. Plus it's just kind of like, that was a weird movie where it's like, we were kind of a reboot, but we're kind of a prequel. We don't really know what we are. So there's a lot of continuity issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first half of it, I love, but after the, but when they get to the second half, it, it starts to fall apart for me. Like if I would, I would have loved first class so much more if it was just Magneto Nazi hunter. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember reading somewhere. I think it was after that film was done or maybe it was before. I'm pretty sure it was after there was talk about doing a Magneto solo film with, um, Fassbender. That was actually before because and... they were, um, after the last stand kind of bombed, um, they were there. The whole idea that Fox had was we we're just going to do a bunch of solo movies. So it was going to start off with like, like the X Men Origins Wolverine, X Men Origins was supposed to be like a brand. And so Wolverine mm. was going to be the first one. Then they were going to have an X Men Origins Magneto movie. And I think they're also going to do like a Cyclops and a Storm one as well at one point. Um, but what happened was, uh, 
Wolverine bombed, and then they decided, okay, let's do first class instead, and they folded in a lot of the the script from X-Men Origins Magneto into the first class script. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Because that scene of uh, First Class where he's, you know, Nazi hunting in Argentina or something. Best terrific scene. scene. Mm-hmm. Best scene of the movie. Yeah, I think so. Jesus. I think so, yeah. Especially I really like the, the train. Oh. The tra- the train I like the training, the training scenes as well, right? Where Banshee's learning how to fly and um, Havoc's learning his powers. Like, I really like that's probably the only, That's one of the, the only, like, real train. Like, we're training and learning to use our powers scenes. Yeah. I mean, in we also get in, in Last Stand. We get that danger room sequence at the beginning, but it's kind yeah. of complicated. But but yeah, I like that training montage as well. And it would have been nice to see a little bit more of more of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like First Class, but it's and also I don't like as much as I like Kevin Shaw, uh, Kevin Shaw, Kevin Bacon's Kevin Bacon. performance as Sebastian mm-hmm. Shaw. That's doesn't feel at all like Sebastian Shaw the character. It just feels like Proto Magneto. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Shaw in the film is not great, and uh, the pay's powers are not really explained that well. And yeah, Kevin Bacon didn't really—he was just cashing in the check. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in this movie, I I really like what they did with with Gene. I thought I thought Gene was this is where Famke Jansen really kind of nailed Gene for me, and I think this I think she did it perfectly. What'd you guys think of her performance? I agree. I, I think she can play Jean. Um, but she did a really good job. And if she were if there was an opportunity in a way for her to come back, they should give it to her. Like I yeah, like I think her performance in this one was it's gonna be hard to top when they inevitably recast the character. I, I really enjoyed Bamke as Jean Grey. I yeah, she's great. The only the only thing that I would say is that I would like to see a little bit like I always look at Jean Grey as being you know super powerful, but also really maternal. She's mm-hmm. a maternal character. She for all those years it was just her and the boys, and she's kind of like the mother figure in a way for all of her friends. And we didn't really see, I didn't see a lot of that really. Like you see her a little bit with the kids, but not really. I would like to see a little bit more of that. But I thought, you know, her her big fight scene with Cyclops was really, really great. She put a lot of emotion into that as well. I like the, the scene at the end when she sacrifices herself. I, yeah, who could say anything bad about Femke Jensen? She's great. Yeah, I think that maternal stuff, I think you're... I think they gave more of that to Storm actually in that scene when she's like fighting yeah. the kids on the monitor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, the, the fight scenes in this movie too, like I love that uh, the mansion fight scene is probably the, the best that yeah. and the nightcrawler scene are probably the best action scenes in this whole movie. Like, yes, you know, just, we get to see Wolverine actually go berserker. It's funny because I remember in interviews, uh, Hugh Jackman was saying, you know, it's like people were asking him, people were saying, it's like, you know, I want to see Wolverine really cut loose. Like, you get to see it in this movie. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you're just saying that. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, fuck, he was right. He really does get to cut mm-hmm. loose. They Although said they wanted to push it as far as they could with the rating, and mm-hmm. they did. I think even like when you watch the other Wolverine films now with the, with the R rating, the only difference with the the way Wolverine is in this one was that there's no blood. 
Yeah, right, even when he's like say, stabbing yeah. them in the feet and in the chest and whatever, there's no blood. But the actual mm-hmm. viciousness and his like ruthlessness of going crazy and screaming, that's all R-rated. Well, I mean that I first scene my... when the when he grabs the guy who's who's shooting at Bobby and like yeah. and just like you know the 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 wound heals and the claws come out and just shoves him up and just jams him right in and screams I'm like holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bobby's like scared. Yeah, they're, they're, and then they see them go crazy, and all three of them are scared. And he's like, "Come on!" And they're just like, "Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll go with the you." Blood, the the bloodlessness of it felt so weird in this viewing too. And I, I think I just had canon that to say, like, maybe the claws like cauterized the wound, and that's <laughs> why there's no blood because it's so weird. Like you right there, like he would stab, he would tear, like I, there, that whole place should be like dripping in, mm-hmm. in blood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe it's the, maybe you know, it's the fire claws they briefly gave him in the comics. I guess. Oh. No, but, but there was the only instance of blood was when, you know, he was being skewered by poor lady Deathstrike. And yeah. I guess it's an injury. Like, I wonder why they picked that particular scene to, maybe it's unavoidable at that point. Like, okay, we really have also to when in the mansion, when they first go in, he gets that cut on his face. Right. And it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Heels just before mm-hmm. he gets pissed off. And that's what triggers the berserker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, yeah. It gave us a, it gave us a nice uh, shot for all the, the, the kids and using their powers and that, that Colossus cameo, it's still like up, up except for the Deadpool movies. That's the best Colossus has been in the movies was just yeah, that one. Yeah. brief scene. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although oh, I didn't he, like uh, when when he goes, uh, he's like, of course, this is like, I can help you. And he's like, no, help them. And he thinks about it for just like one second and then he turns around and goes with the kids. But I thought he thought about it for like not even half a second. It was just like, boom, done. I thought, oh, you could have pondered it for just, you know. <laughs> I remember one in the and theater seconds. when he said that in the theater, I'm just like, yes, go with them. Go with them. We can see more Colossus action. <laughs> yeah. Fastball special, y'all. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also he was drawing, which again is another nice yeah. subtle touch of like uh, the fans will get it. Like it's an amusing scene, but also we get it. So that mm-hmm. that was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think perhaps the writers of the the film were true X Men fans, whereas in some of the other films they were perhaps not? Um, I think because those little know. Easter eggs. Now that we're mentioning them, there's a lot. There's so many. So, uh, yeah. and there, there's a lot that doesn't doesn't cost money, right? It didn't right. cost money to put the names of the other mutants on the computer files in the government mm-hmm. facility, or to have Colossus be drawing. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach Penn wrote one of the drafts. I know that Zach Penn is a huge comic book fan, so that is that definitely tracks. Um, David Hayter, who wrote the first one, he also wrote a draft of this too. Um, and then Michael Doherty and Dan Harris were brought in to rewrite it. I don't think Doherty and Harris are big fans. I think they're probably familiar with some stuff, but I think Zach Penn was probably the biggest comic book fan of the bunch. If I'm remembering correctly. I thought Joss Whedon had something to do with the X. He film. had some, he had some uncredited rewrites on the first film. Yeah. And the, the part that stayed was that unfortunate storm-line, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which would have landed well in a different movie, but it was not that movie. It did not work, no. I mean, just everything mm-hmm. about Storm and would it Would it have landed, though? I think it, I mean, I, th- I can see that fitting in, like, a Buffy episode. Like, you know, if the tone was different. But, but Halle Berry's delivery was just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what happens oh. to a toad when it's struck? It, it's like... 
it, I, it was just the wrong register for, for it that was line. bad it was definitely bad but yeah. I, I don't think that anyone could have delivered it any better i think they're both mm -hmm. as bad as each other there but <laughs> um i've read that speaking of kitty pride apparently that whedon based all of buffy on kitty yeah he said that yeah. Which, uh, uh, kitty was a huge inspiration for him for buffy mm -hmm. Uh, which went full um, circle when he wrote the X Men. Yeah, yeah, which is why he mm -hmm. did. Which is why she was such a focus of his astonishing run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love too the scene oh, in this movie uh, is, is when Wolverine's in um, Bobby's house and he's sniffing for beer. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. They're like, "What are you a teacher of?" And he's like, "Uh." Art. Art. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that too when he when um, Bobby says this is Professor Logan. Even Logan's like, "What? What?" <laughs> he could really should physical education. That may have been more appropriate. <laughs> Karate. I don't know. Um, that police scene as well when they're in the house is another really good action piece as well. Not as much yeah. the standout as the the prison breakout and the the White House breakout, but. Still a really, really good scene. Mm -hmm. Especially when they, they shoot Wolverine and then afterwards the cop who shot him watches Wolverine get up and walk into the jet and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> the bullet's coming out. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, and speaking of gets, uh, gets a moment, Pyro yeah. too, I want to mention too that, that scene when um, Magneto is talking to him on the X-Jet and he says to him, he's like, what's your name? And he says, John. And Magneto's like, no, what's your real name? And I really like that. I think this is the first time that was established in either movies or comic books that mutant the the code names are not like superhero names, but they're like a mutant name, like a way to honor the mutant heritage as opposed to the name you were given at, by the humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a mutant culture. Yeah. And just everything about um, uh, Ian McKellen in this is Magneto. I think he really elevated his performance he really felt like the magneto from the comics more so in this movie than i think in any others like he had that mm -hmm. whole regal feel to him ian mckellen's such a fantastic actor and um in the uk he's been famous and revered for such a long time especially in the theater mm -hmm. and I, I think he's done a lot of shakespearean uh work and he obviously had that framework in mind when he was filming Magne when, when he was playing Magneto and I think in this film in particular even more so than the first that you can really see you can see that regalness and that um, that interpretation and it works so well I mean that breakout scene is just spectacular right that's just I could mm -hmm. picture that playing out exactly in the same way in the comic books like he just you know he just grabs him he lifts him up draws all the iron um, uh, that Mystique injected into the guy, and then he mm -hmm. flows, and, he, and he's just standing on that floating disc and just moving slowly through the scene. It that works so well. Yeah, and I, I think what was really cool in this film is they advanced the mythos a little bit in the sense mm -hmm. of Magneto and Mystique are no longer really the villains; they're not the antagonists. Like, like, the, like the title says, like they're all together, um, right? fighting against this other villain which is a cool and logical progression which unfortunately got dashed in the third film but yeah. i i would have liked to see them continue that more like this notion that like yeah not all mutants are the same there's like these different ideologies at play and different politics but at the end of the day really like 
they would have to band together to combat like other different, more dangerous threats. Like I, I, I really just enjoy it too. And I think one of the reasons I, I love the Kokoa era so much is this notion of like, you know, putting, not putting aside their differences. I mean, obviously they're still there, but sort of finding a way to work together to protect themselves is, is, a, is an interesting thing to see. I, I agree, and but I but I I agree, but with slight, a slight different angle. Where I think one of the things that makes the X Men great is that the protagonists and the antagonists they both have the same goal, right? And that is mm-hmm. to pr- protect and look after the mutant minority. Uh, they just have different ideas about what's the best way to achieve that, and the beauty of that is that they do clash against each other with those different ideals, but they're also going to be able to join together naturally against a common foe without it being too much like, um, uh, too forced. It's not, it doesn't have to be forced. It's a, it's a natural enemy. You're an enemy of my enemy is both our enemies or whatever that phrase. The enemy is. of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. And I think it yeah. also speaks to, and it's really cool to to see this that this notion of like, look, I mean, minority groups are not monolithic. Like they're mm-hmm. not, we're they're not all the same. Like there's different groups of different people within these groups, and they may have different ideas about mm-hmm. what to do about whatever problems they're facing. And I think that's really important to depict. Yeah, yeah. I think also too that um, the politics in this movie, in some ways, it it they're more realistic than they are even in the comics. Like I thought the, you had mentioned earlier about the scene with the president saying the last thing we need is to see a mutant kid, the the body of a mutant kid on the six o'clock news in the comic mm-hmm. books. They're like, yeah, fuck, throw giant robots at him, kill them all. <laughs> but it's I'm like, like yeah. yeah, they're, they're a little bit more realistic at the time. It's like, <laughs> look, we're, yeah, we may want to persecute them, but we can't be obvious that we want to persecute them. So they're trying to find ways around that kind of stuff. So I thought the, which is, the, it's like a, an indictment of the times we're living in where I'm like, how refreshing. Oh, yeah. That is a thing you're caring about. So cool. I love it. I love this. I love this ethical nastiness you're doing. Like, yes. That is what we should aim for. Love it. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, that's true. I was thinking that too when that scene came. I'm like, I'm like yeah, it would make more sense now if you had a you had a president and be like, yeah, just fucking kill them all. Mm. oh that's sad yeah it it is it is all right well that's a that's a nice note to end this on (laughs) yeah that's just a hey wow (laughs) um but anyway i I think go ahead and vote y'all yeah uh in retrospect i mean i still think this is this is my favorite of the team movies if we're talking you know adding in the, the wolverine movies and the deadpool movies i think i would put this probably on par with the Deadpool movies, and then Logan would still be like the top one for me. Um, but, but overall, like I mean, this even with some of the changes, I think this movie gets a lot more right than it gets wrong, and it's it still holds up. I mean, like you like you said, this movie's twenty years old it, this year. It still mm-hmm. holds up very well. Mm-hmm. I, I have to agree. I think this has inspired me to do another Days of Future Past rewatch to check in with my feelings to see what my number one is, but. It's either number one or two for me. It holds up very well. And it's remarkable to me. Like, I don't know what you guys, but like you see a movie 20 years ago, it provokes certain kinds of feelings, right? It may not hit the same way again, Mm -hmm. but like 
I'm sorry. When she was doing that levitating plane thing with the water, I'm like, oh, it's the same kind of goosebumps. I'm feeling it again. That's weird because I'm old and like uh, cynical now, and that doesn't do that doesn't happen to me anymore. I'm like, it's hitting me the same way. So I think that's a testament to how good that film is. Oscar for me, it, it reinforced that it, it, my belief that uh, you know some people say that. The MCU has to thank Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man for, for you know being the success that it is. Whereas mm-hmm. I think that really it's X Men Two that it has to thank because mm-hmm. it is better than the first one, and mm-hmm. it was the first superhero movie that was like uh, rave reviewed by the critics and by the fans as well. Yeah, became a yeah. big, huge commercial success. X Men mm-hmm. One was good, and people enjoyed it. But X Men Two was great, and mm-hmm. people loved it, and rightfully so. It has stood the test of time. It's better than some of the films that are coming out even now. I would say a lot of the MCU films as well. I, I watch a lot more of the MCU films than the DC films. I haven't seen like Shazam or Black Adam or anything like that. But Shazam is good. Black Adam, don't waste your time. <laughs> Shazam too. Also, that was waste of time. Mm. Oh, okay, I haven't seen there that one go. yet. Mm. Mm. Although I did just see the the new trailer for the Flash drop this morning, and that looks. Mm. You know, Ezra Miller is a sociopath, but man, Michael Keaton <laughs> looks so good in that movie. Mm. Oh, Ezra Miller is causing the studio such a headache, mm-hmm. such a headache. But um, I don't think we're going to see any Brian Singer X Men films again. Either, no, actually. no. I mean, yeah, he's no. a, think, you know he, he's a monster. So yeah, we're not seeing any more from him. Career is pretty much um, mm-hmm. over with now. Um, but for his art, the films are great. And well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like it, it. It's disappointing to say that the also like one of the best. You know, I mean, it's the same thing with Josh Whedon, right? He directed one of the greatest superheroes of all time with Avengers, but he's also a fucking monster. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a similar thing with with singer too. Um, but, but I am really curious to see what will happen now once they bring in mutants into the MCU and seeing how they work all this stuff in. And it also be interesting because they don't have to be as restricted as these movies either right. felt they had to be, or maybe mm-hmm. because also singer too, wasn't a fan of the comics. So he didn't have that kind of mentality going into them as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what we do with someone who, and one thing about the MCU is they find people who really do love the source material. So I'm really um, curious to see what we're going to get out of that. What are, what are your ideas or maybe ideas or like wish list of like, how should they do it? How do you want them to do it? To bring so the mutants in? I've said this a lot of times and I still think this is the best way. Um, mm-hmm. I'd start with the idea that mutants have always existed, but they've just been in like so many small numbers that they haven't even, um, same, same. and, and like, you know, maybe Nick Fury was working with Xavier Magneto transporting, you know, mutant refugees to Krakoa Mm -hmm. or something like that. And Mm -hmm. because Krakoa can move all around the place, it's never been able to be detected. Um, but after the, um, the blip, like, you know, in, in Endgame, Rocket says that, you know, it's ground zero for all this cosmic energy that's never been seen right. before. Wanda yep. got her powers jump started by the by the, the Mind Stone, so did Pietro. So that mm-hmm. whole idea that the Infinity Stone's cosmic energy has jump started mutations. So now whereas right. like 
maybe their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren would have become mutants. Now instead, it's happening several generations earlier. And so there's this big mm. explosion of mutant kind. And then you've got this conflict brewing between Xavier and Magneto. That's how I would do it, is to introduce the, the idea of mutants. And I think, so I know it's been very divisive among the fans and the comics, but I think the whole notion of the resurrection technology is such a boon and a gift to the films because once you do that, again, you're like free of restraints and you can say things like, why indeed, yes, Magneto was in World War II. Here's why. Now, I, I don't know how that's going to land with movie fans, but I like it's such yeah, it's a really gift. hard for the origin, right? <laughs> yeah. Because mm -hmm. I mean, the time is a constraint, but I, I don't know if they're going to use that at all, but like it's such an I interesting mean, way sort of maybe resolve you could do it that i think you could do it one of three ways either you could do it like you said you could use like the resurrection technology or mm -hmm. just say that he's long lived because of his some second oh well no more no more they've already established right like, right he's exactly he's lived right, yeah, like yeah. so long right yeah, yeah that too that too um mm -hmm. another way you could do it is what miller did in the ultimates in the ultimate x-men where he said that magneto is the descendant of holocaust survivors is i think what was mm -hmm. kind of hinted at instead of him actually being mm -hmm. in the holocaust um, or the third option is you could just maybe not the Holocaust, but some other, you know, right. genocidal event, like, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, a victim of the Serbian wars or something like that, or mm -hmm. anything like that. I mean, unfortunately there's no shortage of human atrocities that I was going to say like, in right. modern day, we have so. options y'all. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think the other thing I would do also is I would, I would keep. It, one of the things I would love to happen, I know this won't happen, but I would actually love to see them do like an X-Men series on Disney Plus, have be able to play around with more character stuff and then save like mm -hmm. big set piece stuff for like an X-Men movie. So like cap off each season yeah. or something like that with a big budget movie, I think would be really cool. They won't do that. I know they're not going to do that, but that would be a, a really cool way to play around with the character dynamics, really get to build up the cast and everything. Um and I would have Wolverine off on his own, introduce Wolverine in a separate movie and then bring him into the X-Men movies later so he doesn't have to be such a big focus. Those would probably be the big things I would do. For me, I think they would be better off hitting it with the multiverse angle. Mm -hmm. I don't know as a, like as a comic book reader of you know 30 years that I have, I still can't reconcile in my head why people love the Avengers and hate the X-Men. And, you know, if you Before gain this, your powers this. some mystic way, then you're mm. fine. But if you're mm -hmm. born with it, then you're a mutie and we hate you and just doesn't sit right. And I think general audiences won't really get that as well by putting the two of them together. I think I like the idea of them being multiversal and just having their own universe and interacting through kang or something like that um i don't i don't want them to all be together in one mcu that's why i think the oh. infinity stones actually works for that because it they're the thing that brings them that brings about mutants is this thing that almost destroyed humanity so i think mm -hmm. that's a good way to to kind of instill that fear into the public i think your your away is good but i yeah, I just I, I I think the general general movie going public is going to have a hard time reconciling the anti mutant hysteria and the love of Avengers. 
I mean, you never know because there was one point when people would say that the general movie-going audience couldn't reconcile the idea of the multiverse. So, and now we've got tons of multiverse yeah. stuff. That's true. I look forward to being proven wrong. I I hope yeah I hope I'm proven right. <laughs> but, I mean um, I know I we are we... getting some multiverse stuff at least because we got Jackman coming back up in the in the dead in the the Deadpool three so that's going to happen. And we've already seen it in the multiverse of madness. I mean, yeah, Charles with the Professor Cameo. X. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I was going to say like well they're they're planning a uh, I don't know if you guys have heard but like in San Diego they're having an actual live Hellfire Gala which may just be a bunch of cosplayers LARPing around, which is not a terrible thing. But I just like, is this like a test thing? What are they doing? Like, it's just, it just floors me. I'm like, is this reality that I'm living in? Like never in a, like a million years would I have thought like, okay, this is a thing. This is a thing they're doing. Crazy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that does it for this episode. Guys, thanks so much for coming back. This is a lot of fun to, to talk about X2 with you. Um, but why don't you tell people uh, where they can find your stuff? Oscar, you can start with you. You can find me on you can find me on Twitter. I um, do some uh, some ramblings every now and then. It's O D A T two two zero. You can find me on Tumblr at Perfect Fabric Killing Machine. And if you want more X Men content, I'm also on another podcast called Krakoan Exports, where we are currently reading through and talking about uh, the comics coming out in the current era of the X Men. Okay, great. Um, and also go back and listen to E for, um, e for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men that the three of us did together. It was a fun podcast. We covered the entire Morrison run from 114 up until 154, I think it was, was the, the issues. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was. I recently re- re-listened to the last of those episodes and it such a lot of fun talking about those. Um, really gave me a new appreciation to go back and re-examine those issues with you guys. And so you guys should definitely check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but also you can check out uh, superhero cinephiles.com is the website. Super cinema pod is our Twitter and Instagram handles. And if you sign up for the Patreon page for as little as a dollar a month, you get these episodes a week in advance. Plus you get access to the superhero cinephiles book club, where we talk about comic books and graphic novels about once a month. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.